welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hi, everyone. I'm John Lynn, the founder and chief editor at Healthcare IT Today. We're excited to bring you another in our series of interviews with top leaders in health IT. Today's guest is Don Hooker. He's analyst at Capital One Healthcare. Welcome, Don. Yo, thank you, John. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be here. Yeah, so uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and Capital One Healthcare. Sure. I mean, real briefly, so my most of my professional background is in uh, sell-side equity research. I was a senior equity research analyst for gosh, 20, 20 plus years, yikes, uh, at UBS, Morgan Stanley, <laughs> and KeyBank. Uh, uh, mainly focused on digital health and tech-enabled healthcare, as well as a few other areas. And I recently came to, uh, left the equity research world to Capital One. Um, really kind of excited about, I think Capital One puts a, a lot into sort of understanding its customers in healthcare. I know that sounds cliche, but that's kind of why the reputation kind of brought me here and mm. kind of work with a unique group of folks that focuses on industry issues and works with works with customers so um that yeah. is me in a brief nutshell interesting i mean I, I, everyone's heard of capital one at least if you've watched football like i do you know capital one really well right <laughs> branding works but give us an idea of kind of the work that you do in healthcare and, and how capital one could help a healthcare organization yeah i mean the idea is that they have a group of sort of customer facing analysts like me who are more industry oriented, less sort of credit folks. I work with the sales teams and the underwriting teams, but my focus is on sort of industry issues and trends and with the, so I think the theory is to have um, Capital One having a sort of a unique understanding of its customers, which, you know, the customer, I think customers want financial partners who can appreciate what they're doing and what their vision is and what the industry around them is. And financially, of course, for us in the commercial bank side of Capital One sort of having that better understanding leads to better financing and credit decisions. So. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I, it's interesting. I'm not to keep on the sports analogy, but I guess that's a theme for this one. Uh, I look at sports casters and they always love Vegas and I'm, I'm biased because I live in Vegas, but you know, they love Vegas because Vegas is literally putting money on the line in the lines that they put there. Right. And, and so I think it's interesting that you want to have an understanding for your clients because they're literally putting money on the line for the things they're doing. So, so I'm interested to hear your perspective. So let's talk about this. So like, what's your take on say big tech, right. And kind of this explosion of investors in primary care, yeah. big tech getting into primary care, you know, what do you see as some of the challenges and opportunities there? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, yeah, the year 2022, I think looking back as we look back in the future will definitely appears to be a major year for big tech companies coming into expanding into inorganically and organically into healthcare. Um, I, I, you know, my take is a lot of these sort of big tech companies, you know, these big brand name tech companies have sort of cloud infrastructure programs they've been offering in healthcare, but just, just offering that sort of cloud is probably, I think, increasingly perceived as being a bit passive. And I think the, the idea would be to sort of vertically sort of integrate into the source of the data to kind of feed your cloud to be more, you know, to, to avoid risking getting locked out of the of the space. So a lot of these tech companies seem to be moving together and trying to sort of find a way to get into healthcare. So my sort of take on that, um, first of all, I would never want to discount the ability of these larger multi-industry tech companies from disrupting industries around them. That's clearly what they've done for for a long time. 
I just would say that the pattern, but what we've seen over and over again is there is a, I think a tendency for folks to underestimate how, um, how uniquely elusive financial success in healthcare can be for companies that are not truly native to healthcare. So hmm. large tech companies, you know, in particular, I would say, you know, sometimes you, there, there are barriers for them to overcome around sort of institutional focus, dexterity of the organization and the culture too. I mean, I don't want to get into naming names, of course, but, you know, some anecdotes I'm sure folks have heard and we've heard, you know, are there, there can be sort of cultural sort of mission um, differences between the frontline medical staff and like the tech executive team, you know, high up uh, at the big tech company. So that kind of cultural clash needs to, and particularly during a time where there are labor shortages and issues like that. I also think it perhaps it's a bit more difficult to get scale in healthcare, uh, just dealing mm -hmm. with unstructured data and all the idiosyncratic workflows that can vary a lot from provider to provider. I think you're dealing with a very you know, the heterogeneity of the tech infrastructure in healthcare and some of the unique software languages as well. So, you know, again, don't want to sort of ever <laughs> discount any of these stories, but I think, you know, you know, we, we would, I, I would view them as show me stories. Um, yeah. I would wonder as maybe an adjunct to your, to your question, I, I wonder if some of the retailers, you know, you, you were talking about tech companies might, might have, might have, better success perhaps over time. I mean, their survey data clearly shows, you know, what a patients want. They want convenience, right? They want yeah. providers that are near to them and, um, you know, they would have a natural running start there. Like, I mean, just 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 as an example, um, you know, Walgreens talks about having a Walgreens store within five miles of 75% of the U.S. population. That's what they say sort of publicly. And that's yeah. an example. I mean, these true for the other big retailers too. So you wonder if they might have a little bit of a running start there and also working with labor, and managing customer expectations and whatnot. So, yeah, that's a good be... point, right? I mean, you look at Walgreens, CVS Health just acquired Signify Health, right? Walmart's in it, even Dollar General. Like, what in the world is that, right? But your point about big tech is really interesting because. I think people misunderstand what big tech needs to accomplish in healthcare for it to be a good business, right? Like a startup company, you could be a hundred million dollar or $500 million business. And that would be an incredible outcome for big tech. That's like, that's like not even a rounding error. So like, yeah. the, you know, the, like you said, that disconnect, I think it was a great description is that higher ups, they see a $500 million business. They're like, yeah, it's not really worth the effort. Right. <laughs> and cut exactly. it. And you're like, wait, what did you do? <laughs> And, and culture matters too. I think, you know, I mean, I hear about it all the time in healthcare, kind of having a connection between leadership teams, whether it's a hospital, I mean, everywhere in healthcare, kind of a mission-driven connection between the leadership team and the staff, yeah, right? That's true. That, that is really critical. So you can't put numbers on it. I know it's kind of vague, but it shows up over time. Um, so th th these are surmountable barriers, but yeah. they're barriers to entry for, for outsiders. So, for we'll, sure. so we'll, we'll see. Excellent. So what are some of the other trends you're hearing from your customers that may be important for people to be watching? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, primary care. Mm. I mean, there's, there's, you know, I'll just maybe, maybe comment there too. I mean, you know, I mean, I would say uh, empirically, the U.S. is clearly underinvested in primary care versus other Western countries. I think intuitively, um, you know, one would think primary care logically should improve in, co in the coordination of care. But again, I would sort of look if, if you're referring to some of these larger primary care organizations, um, I think the question there has been scale, right? The ability to, to scale those businesses. So you get case, positive case studies. I, I wonder how much of that is the 
specific relationship between the physician and the doctor or the doctor and the patient. Can you, can you scale that, you know, mm-hmm. over time? Not sure. Um, so we'd want to see more data there, but I think there's, there's things that have emerged in the healthcare landscape that bode well for it to increase the argument for primary care. And that, you know, I'm, this, again, this is my personal view. I, I think telehealth and virtual care, um, gives primary care providers a huge boost in engaging conveniently with patients, getting patients to accept it, getting doctors to accept it. That creates a new engagement tool. Interoperability is really critical because of primary care, you're supposed to be the coordinator of care. You're supposed to be the quarterback, right? Having visibility to all the different settings of care in in near real time. And then value-based reimbursement kind of lends well to primary care. So these are really strong arguments. We And I think this is one of those things where we need to see data and scalability for some of these organizations. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to watch the primary care space when you see Amazon eat up, uh, you know, one medical and you see, uh, you know, United Healthcare has 30,000 provider organizations more than any other provider organization, Kaiser, et cetera, right? They don't even have that many. Yet. And, and you look at that and I, you know, I asked the question, is this like the renaissance of primary care and we're going to have this explosion of primary care or is this the death of primary care and they're going to squeeze out all the margins and, and connections yeah. and referral patterns? Like, I, I'm not sure. That, yeah, where, how much of it is, as an in, is the individual primary care doc and the, and the patient versus the organization driving that? I, I think we need to just see that play out. Yeah, but to your point, I mean, I think telehealth and and the acceptance of telehealth, right, by doctors that like, yeah, care can be done this way, and this is a more convenient thing for the patients. I think that's that's definitely a positive sign to be watching. Yes, it is. Um, so and I guess uh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Go yeah, and in terms of our 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 what we're seeing kind of with our our organization is you know definitely a lot of interest in activity and revenue cycle management. Uh, that would be, you, you mentioned kind of where we're seeing yeah. a lot of interest in, in activity. Um, so, you know, I, I guess that would be sort of uh, my answer there. Well, I think it got so much harder because now patients are paying a lot more because they have high deductible plans and the payers yeah. are not paying as much. And so now the, the healthcare organizations are on the hook and patients don't pay as well as payers. That's proven in a lot of data. So a big yeah. topic. And I feel like, like in my time in in the space, you know, there you you get these sort of like cycles of interest. And I think, yeah, I remember going back to like 2000, if you think about like 2010 to 2015, you had, everything was focused about the electronic health record, adopting and using electronic health. That was a high tech act. And then $36 billion of stimulus does that, right? (laughs) All the oxygen in the room goes to that EHR software. And then you have the period, I guess, following ACA and MACRA, right? those pieces of legislation, sort of an area where, okay, we have the EHR, let's think about analytical tools that can pull data from that EHR and kind of inform broader population health management. Um, That sort of was seemed to be the focus. And then sort of you had COVID-19, which you had telehealth and virtual care and remote monitoring that was like all the oxygen went in the room went to that. And now that's settling down. And I think people are, I think revenue cycle management's been kind of of neglected (laughs) um, as an area of innovation. I think you might see that change you know, over the next few years. Yeah. And I think COVID uh, hurts some organizations financially, helps some, I think, but, uh, and so they said, oh, we have to do this to survive. So how about when it comes to workforce automation, what do you see coming in that regard? You know, workforce is our number one topic on the site by far. So, you know, and and maybe what are there some practical things healthcare organizations should be doing to kind of prepare for what's coming? Because 
at least I maybe you view this differently. I see this as a wave that's going to be here for a number of years, these workforce challenges. Yeah, I mean, I, I think absolutely probably would be on my my top three list as well of areas of of interest. I think, again, I would go back to revenue cycle management. In my mind, I think one area of, of healthcare where that's particularly labor labor intensive is revenue cycle management. I mean, I, I would I would guess seventy percent plus of costs of revenue cycle in healthcare are are labor is labor. Mm-hmm. Um, turnover rates we you know twenty percent plus. I mean, we're seeing huge turnover rates of this kind of staff. Mm-hmm. So um, you know that's an area where, and particularly the middle of the revenue cycle is particularly human capital intensive. You know, I, I think of like medical coding and whatnot. So. There's a lot of technology to bear there. I think you'll see a lot of experimentation around autonomous coding and natural language processing. So that's sort of the the middle revenue cycle management, and then related areas to that. You know, prior authorizations, just constant noise around that. Yep. Um, you know, kind of as an area, labor intensive area, which is going to take a lot of time. Um, I mean, I feel like the solution there is probably some sort of collaboration with payers, getting the consumer involved. Um, yeah, those are those are some of the areas. I mean, there, there are many others. I mean, we we've seen a lot of interest in specialty and complex claims, for instance, is another area like outsourcing, kind of areas where it's really hard to get scale for an individual hospital. So these are high dollar, sort of medical counters, but you're dealing with non traditional sort of non typical payers. You know, like mm-hmm. a like a motor vehicle claim or a workers comp claim, specialty claims, VA. Mm-hmm. You know, those are kind of growing areas where it's. You might not have the experience on your existing staff, but you can you can outsource that. So that's again part of revenue cycle. Mm-hmm. Well, so. I think what's interesting in this workforce area too is healthcare is being hammered in three different areas, and each each one has a different problem. The doctors, the nurses, they're burnt out and they're tired and they're understaffed and they're, you know, COVID's, you know, taking its toll, the policies, regulations take its toll. So there's a burnout thing that's causing them to just leave practice, right? Then you look at the health IT staff and the health IT staff now have so much investment in health IT, they can go out to another company and get paid more that, you know, so there's cost pressures for them where they can make more somewhere else than healthcare. And then like you said, the revenue cycle staff, they're leaving, but they're not leaving because they're necessarily burnt out or, you know, because they can get paid more somewhere else. It's that it's the whole, I can work anywhere. I don't have to work at the local hospital. I can work at another hospital. I can, I can, you know, the, the portability that, you know, COVID provided. So it's like all three of them are challenges, but they have unique aspects that make, you know, in, in aggregate is really a hard problem that we're facing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I always think of it like, you know, the challenge is you're competing for talent, particularly in technology. And unlike a lot of, you know, unlike McDonald's and Burger King, right? You can't raise your prices. If your costs go up, you can't yeah. necessarily raise your prices. I mean, healthcare is paid prospectively. So you it takes time for the, you know, your rates to catch up to where your costs are. So if you are seeing cost pressures, you're kind of underwater. So yeah. that's where you need to find, I mean, you, you kind of have to, your solution has to be automation. Um, it has to be automation, automation, AI, these new technologies that are out there. But now there's a real catalyst to to bring them in the bear. Yeah, that's a great point. So, you know, and this one may be an old reference. We'll see who, who, who knows about it or not. They can leave comments in the YouTube video. <laughs> but is value-based care real or is it Memorex? And for those that don't know the Memorex, they can go search it on YouTube. But what do you think? Value-based care, is it here to stay? Is it a fad? Is it, you know, where are we at? 
I think it has to be here, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I you know people, I, I look. It's had we've been talking about value based care for a long time, right? I mean, decades maybe. Yeah, um, forever. I mean, HMOs uh, were the original yeah, value based yeah, care forever, kind of. Yeah. So you know, you've had fits and starts, but you know, I, I think that brings skepticism with it. But I mean, what the Medicare trust fund? What did the government published is going to be depleted in 2028. I mean. What are you? What are you? What are you going to do? You can. I don't think hospitals and physician groups are overpaid. So I mean, cutting rates probably not a good option. You can't cut your way to sort of improve the the you know rationing care would be another option. I don't think that's particularly popular by anyone. So if you you know you're you're sort of the most you know political and financially viable I think solution is to pay smarter, right? I mean, figure out what works, pay what works, and, and kind of. You know, you know, pay for reward innovation, reward good results and outcomes, and penalize bad outcomes. Mm-hmm. So I think that sort of has to happen. And how you go about doing that—that's tough. Yeah. Um, that's tough. And I think there you probably you know, are going to have different model. You want maybe competition between pricing models there. Um, but I think it kind of has to happen at some point, right? We need to, we need, and you know, the funny thing about value-based reimbursement, it sort of solves a lot of other issues, right? Because <laughs> if you have a reimbursement system where you align incentives, interoperability, you know, these these issues that come out of fee-for-service kind of, I think, start to go away by themselves, right? Interoperability, there's not really a, you know, everyone talks about the difficulties and that leads to burnout and staffing issues. Yeah. Did healthcare to interrupt? Well, gosh, if you're, you're in a, fee-for-service world, there's not much of a use case there unless the government's really just pushing it in. But in a value-based world, right? I mean, that's part of your business, right? I mean, being interoperable is is, is associated with revenue generation. Yep. You have to be interoperable. Um, you know, prior authorizations I mentioned, right? I mean, I wonder, you know, if you, again, if you have aligned incentives, I mean, do you have as much of an issue there? Probably not, right? So, so I think changing the reimbursement system, it, it has a lot of favorable sort of drop down effect. So I think most people, at least for groups that we've talked with, kind of see it coming. We can debate about what it's going to look like, but sort of conceptually, you know, if you if you provide good patient care at a good cost, you know, you got to start thinking about that now. It takes years to develop a good sort of value-based reimbursement strategy and get it into deployment. You got to start now and build slowly over time. And I think people are doing that. So yeah. Well, I have the most hope now for value-based care, although I say it's somewhat tepidly because like you said, it's hard, but I think what the difference now is we have the data. Like before, how do you even do that in a paper chart world? Like, you know, like how do I show the value? And, you know, I'm going to do a bunch of phone calls and send a bunch of letters to ensure that you're being compliant and that you're seeing your visits and even just monitoring your health, let alone sensors, you know, you're going to send by snail mail your, your latest weight readings and your blood pressure. Like, you know, like it's funny to think about value-based care in the previous world. Whereas today it's like, of course you could do that. Right. And so, yeah. That's where I have some hope, you know, myself for value-based care. Yeah, I think it. I think it has to happen. I think it just has to happen, and, it, and what what you know what has to be will be. <laughs> yeah. So just for financially for our country. Yeah. Well, Don, this is a great discussion. I appreciate you uh, joining us and sharing some insights and perspectives. And thanks everyone for watching and listening. If you want to find more great healthcare IT content like this, be sure to check it out at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application. Thanks, Don. Thanks, John. Bye-bye.